0: Take your Bibles, turn along with me to John chapter 4. In the coming weeks, we are going to study the New Testament epistle of Colossians. That's where we'll be headed next. But it's a study, of course, that will focus our attention on the true identity of and nature of Jesus Christ and the implications of his true identity and nature for our lives. But this morning, I want us to turn to the Gospel of John and see together Jesus' compassionate heart for the lost. Aren't you glad Jesus has a heart for the lost? Because I was once lost, but now I'm found because of Jesus' great mercy and compassion for the lost. Well, we live in a day of great opportunity. There seems to be fear and uncertainty on every side. And in the midst of this fear and uncertainty, people are asking, many people are asking the deep questions of life. Why are we here? Where is the world headed? Why does any of this matter? The Bible has an answer to that, those questions, and this is prime time for sharing the good news of the gospel. This morning, we're going to see the example of Jesus as he slowly draws a soul in tremendous need of salvation into conversation and then reveals himself to her as Savior. So I want you to look with me at John chapter 4 and see this merciful compassionate conversation Jesus has with the woman at the well. John chapter 4 and verse 1, let me read for us. I'll read through the whole story through verse 42. Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went away again into Galilee. He had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, "'Give me a drink,' for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food." Therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You are not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water, so I will not be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You've correctly said I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one whom you now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. Truly. The woman said to him, "'Sir, I perceive you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship.'" Jesus said to her, "'Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews.'" But an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The one said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He was called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you, Am he? At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking with a woman, yet no one said, What do you seek? Or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out of the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages And is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. From that city many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Many more believed because of his word. And they were saying to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. This is the word of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus... How glorious it is to read of your heart for the lost. You love all people. And you cross borders and boundaries in order to reach them. You ignore cultural barriers, Stepping over them in order to have a heart conversation with someone in need. Thank you for your heart of compassion for the lost. Without your heart of compassion, we would have no hope. But your compassion knows no limits. Your mercy is greater than all our sin. Your grace is sufficient to cover all our misdeeds and our guilt before a holy God. Thank you, Jesus. Help us to be like you. Help us to have a heart like you. Help us to have eyes to see what you see. Help us to have lips that speak as you speak. Words of hope and promise, and good news to a world that is hopeless and helpless and doesn't know where to look for the answers. Help us, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let me just lay out the setting here of John chapter 4. Jesus and his disciples were baptizing and many were coming to him. This gained the attention of not only John's disciples, but the attention of the Pharisees as well. And since the time of Jesus' final confrontation, and ultimately His crucifixion, had not yet come, Jesus decided to avoid further confrontation and head north to His homeland of Galilee. And the most direct route for this would be through Samaria. Samaria was a region of Israel populated by half-blooded Jews. At the time of the Assyrian captivity, many of the Jewish men of this area had been carried off. This is hundreds of years earlier. They were carried off and the area was repopulated with foreigners, Gentiles, non-Jews from Babylon and Media. Many of the remaining Jews of this area intermarried with these foreigners. And the result was that it spawned a community of half-blooded Jews with very Jewish roots, but also a mix of pagan beliefs and practices. It was a syncretistic community. They accepted only their own version of the Pentateuch as being the Word of God, and they rejected the rest of the Old Testament. They built their own temple on Mount Gerizim, and they rejected the temple in Jerusalem as being a legi- legitimate place of worship. Jews and Samaritans had for centuries had a long history of fighting and infighting and of hatred for one another. So there was a tremendous animosity between these two people groups, Jews and Samaritans. Jews avoided Samaritans whenever possible and vice versa. So here at high noon, in the land of Samaria, at Jacob's well, Jesus stops by to rest from his travels. And in this interaction between Jesus and this woman at the well, we're going to see four gracious actions of Jesus that serve as four keys for sharing the gospel, Four gracious actions of Jesus that serve for us as four keys for the effective sharing of the gospel. All right, so let's break it apart. First of all, we see that Jesus reaches out. Jesus reaches out to others. Verses 7 through 9. Jesus is here. He's resting at Jacob's well around noon at the heat of the day. Tired from the journey, Jesus sits by the well for a rest. He's alone, for his disciples have headed into the nearby town of Sychar to buy food, as we see in verse 8. A woman comes to the well alone. Jesus is alone. She's alone. She comes at high noon. That is not normal. Women normally came to wells in groups, normally either early in the morning or in the late day or both, but rarely, if ever, in the heat of the day. She did so probably because of the shame she lived under in that community. We know that she's had many husbands and that she is currently living with a man who is not her husband. This is a woman who probably does not have a great reputation. She is an outcast, in all likelihood, in her community. And here she is, following her routine, coming to the well at a time when she knows no one else will be there. She won't have to endure the, the mocking and, or the silence from the others. So here she is. And there is Jesus. And Jesus begins to draw her out. He simply asks her for a drink. Now that seems probably not strange to us. Jesus is no doubt thirsty from his travels. He'd like something to alleviate that thirst. There's a woman... She's drawing water already? Can I have a drink of what you're drawing out of that well? But while it may not seem strange to us, what Jesus is doing here is absolutely scandalous. A Jew speaking to a Samaritan? Unheard of. A Jewish male speaking to a Samaritan female? Absolutely unheard of. A Jewish male asking a Samaritan female if he can drink from her cup? It's just not done. It was outrageous for the day. Jesus is bridging a cultural divide and he is intentionally drawing her into conversation. Jesus was fully human. We should acknowledge that. This passage helps us to see that. That Jesus is thirsty. Jesus is hungry at times. Jesus slept. Jesus wept. But it's likely that Jesus already had a drink of water. He and his disciples had already gathered at the well. Jesus stayed behind while they went into town for some food to bring it back it's likely they've already they've already taken care of the thirst problem jesus is intentionally reaching out to this woman not so much asking her for a drink because he was thirsty but asking her for a drink because he cared about her and he wanted to enter into conversation with her this was a way to do it Well, the scandal of this moment in Jesus' request is seen in her reaction to it. Look at verse 9. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. How is it? What is wrong with you? Are you feeling okay? You must be really, really thirsty. Delirious. How can this be? Jewish tradition said that to drink water from the same cup of a Samaritan would make you unclean. And so Jesus is clearly breaking down these cultural barriers, crossing these cultural lines in order to reach out to a woman who was lost and lonely and searching desperately for fulfillment. Now, none of this just happened. It just so happened, right? like we saw in the book of Ruth. It was all divine providence. And here we have Jesus knowing full well this woman's history because he is God in the flesh after all. He knows what is in the heart of man. Jesus is being very intentional here. In verse 4, it says that Jesus had to go through Samaria. Was there a detour? Is that the only thing he could do? No. He could have taken many different routes. But this was a divine appointment. Jesus knew of this woman before he ever met her, and he had a divine appointment with her, unbeknownst to her. What we see here is that God is no respecter of persons. What we see here is that the gospel reaches out to the lowest person on the social, economic, political, moral, or religious ladder. This woman is an outcast of the outcasts. The Jews have no dealings with Samaritans, and the Samaritans have no dealings with this woman. But who is it that Jesus goes after? The least. The lowest. The lost. The good news of the gospel crosses social barriers. It is good news of great joy for all people. Good news for everyone. So... Jesus reaches out. And what a great example that serves to us. Are we looking for and seeking opportunities to share Christ with others? Do we look for opportunities to open up conversation? Do we have an outreach mentality? Do we see the lost as the enemy who are destroying our political ambitions? Or do we see them as people who are seeking answers in all the wrong places? Who are headed toward an eternity apart from God? Do you have an outreach mentality? Do you have a heart for the lost? A growing heart? For the lost? heart of compassion? Are you concerned about the person next to you at work? Do you think about the kid at school? What their worldview might be? What their concerns might be? What their fears might be? What their guilt might be? The neighbor next door? Where is your next divine appointment? How could you, this week, perhaps, start up a conversation, bridge a cultural divide, enter into someone else's world, and begin a conversation? Jesus reached out. Secondly, Jesus reveals truth. Verses 10 through 15, Jesus reveals truth. In verse 10, Jesus turns the shock that she has expressed around on her. She said in verse 9, How is it you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. What's going on here? Verse 10, Jesus says, You're shocked. I'm shocked. If you knew the gift of God who it is who says to you give me a drink you would have asked Him and He would have given you living water. I've asked you for a drink but if you knew who I was you'd be asking me for a drink. And He says I can give you living water. Living water. Jesus Begins to speak of, to her in using this metaphor of water. They're around a, a well. They have water accessible to them, and Jesus uses the circumstances of the moment to turn it to turn the conversation towards spiritual realities. Now, water is vital to all of us, but we live in a time when its abundance and availability keeps us from truly understanding the depth of what jesus was saying all of us live like kings right 100 years ago 200 years ago certainly 2000 years ago the idea of going to a tap and turning a little handle and filling a glass of water would have been mind-blowing and yet we all have it in our homes water is easily accessible to us. We all need water. A man may live for weeks without food, but only days without water. Up until the last hundred years or so, much of life centered around finding, transporting, holding, and preserving water. Getting water was a daily task, especially in a dry, arid region like this. Palestine so what is this living water that Jesus now mentions well this is Jesus drawing upon a a deep well of biblical imagery related to water and living water God refers to himself as the fountain of living waters in Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 13 Water in the Old Testament was a fairly common metaphor for salvation. Isaiah 12.3 says, Therefore you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. Water was a picture of the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 44 verses 3 and 4. God says, I will pour out. Water on a thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And they will spring up among the grass like poplars by streams of water. Water was a picture of cleansing from sin. Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-five. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. So the picture of water is rich in biblical significance. It speaks of God's provision, His cleansing, His strengthening, His refreshing, His f- the fruitfulness that comes from it, and the flourishing of the individual who is watered by the waters of God. Later on in John's Gospel, Jesus will pick up this metaphor of living water again. He will say in John chapter 7, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. By this he spoke of the Spirit whom those he believed, who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, despite this rich biblical background, the significance of Jesus' statement about living water seems to be lost on her. She is spiritually darkened in her understanding. She says, you have nothing to draw with. How will you get this living water? The the well is deep. And you've got nothing. How are you going to get to this living water? To be sure, Jesus is speaking here somewhat cryptically. He is using the surroundings, the situation, the context of the conversation. He's using physical water from this well to jump into a spiritual conversation about spiritual water, spiritual satisfaction. He has piqued her interest and he's gotten her thinking and he's gotten her asking questions. There's a conversation happening. There's a back and forth going on. The woman asks if Jesus is greater than Jacob, who gave them this well. Jesus points out the inferiority of this water to his water in verses 13 and 14. Look at what he says. Verse 13. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. You're going to be back here tomorrow because you need this. You have to keep coming back. You have to keep drawing. You have to keep drinking. Verse 14, But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Jesus is offering an infinite spring of water. Jesus is here picturing the life of the believer. The one who drinks the living water that he offers Experiences a life of continual satisfaction, a life of irrepressible vitality, an inner life of growth, of purity, of satisfaction. Later on, Jesus will say in John 10.10, I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Abundantly. Same idea. Well, she doesn't get it. Verse 15. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I don't have to be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. I like what you're selling. Sign me up. Give me this water. I want it. She still thinks that Jesus is talking about some kind of Miraculous physical water. She doesn't want to be physically thirsty again. And she doesn't want to have to come back to this well every day. Jesus here is revealing truth. He's doing it in a way that is piquing interest. He's doing it in a way that is drawing out curiosity. That is speaking to what she thought was her need. But pointing her to a deeper need that she's not even aware of yet. He's revealing truth. He's doing it slowly. He's doing it carefully. He's doing it strategically. But he's revealing truth to be sure. Thirdly, Jesus refutes error. He reaches out. He reveals truth. And it refutes error. Look at this in verses 16 through 24. Having piqued her interest, having gotten her to the point where she says, yes, that's what I want. He's now going to needle around in the darkest recesses of her heart. Only Jesus can do it this way, Right? Because he knows all. Jesus immediately leads her deeper into the conversation. And in doing so, he refutes several areas of sin and error in her life. She's got some wrong thinking. She's got some wrong living. And Jesus is going to confront that. He's going to refute it with the truth. First of all, he refutes the error of immorality. Verses 16 through 18. So she says, give me this water. I want it. Verse 10, he said to her, go, call your husband and come here. Uh, She says in verse 17, "Um, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, that's right. You're right about that. You don't have a husband. In fact, you've had five husbands. And the man you're currently living with is not your husband. So you you're right. You you don't have a husband. Wow. Well, she quickly tries to regain regain control of the conversation. Sir, you must be a prophet. I perceive that about you, verse 19. You know things about me that otherwise you could not know unless you were a prophet. Since you are a prophet, why don't we talk theology? Enough about me. Let's talk religion. I really don't care for the subject we've just hit upon. My own sin. So let's intellectually sterilize this conversation and do so quickly. Let's climb that ivory tower together and have a stimulating intellectual discussion. Jesus goes with her on this diversion. Okay, you want to talk about religion? We can do that. And he points out another error in her life, not only the error of immorality, but the error of confidence in religion. Verses 19 through 24. Verse 20. She says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain and your people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. What do you think about that? Jesus says in verse 21 that both mountains are obsolete. What you're talking about has nothing to do with what pleases God. What mountain you worship on has very little to do with the true worship of God at all. Jesus is saying here, the place of worship makes no difference. What is important is not where we worship, but rather who we worship and how we worship. Jesus says, Your worship has been done in ignorance. He doesn't mince words. The Samaritans had not accepted the full picture of God as He had presented Himself in the complete Old Testament and as had been mediated through the Jewish nation and the temple. For he says, salvation is of the Jews. Messiah is to be a Jew, not a Samaritan. Then he says, true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. That's the key. Not this mountain, not that mountain, but the true worshiper is the worshiper who worships God in spirit and in truth, in intensity and integrity with neither lifeless orthodoxy nor passionate heresy. This is what God is seeking in worship. Those who worship Him from the heart and in accord with His truth. That's in accord, of course, with God's nature. He is spirit, and those who worship Him must do so in spirit and truth. It's not about the location. It's not about Gerizim or Jerusalem. It's not about Jew or Samaritan. It's not about this religious practice or that religious observance. It's about giving the Father God who made us what He seeks, true worship. And it must be done in spirit and in truth. And because it must be done in spirit and in truth, and it's not dependent on a geographical location, it is available to everyone. Even a Samaritan. Even an outcast of a Samaritan. Part of sharing the gospel is honing in, being a good listener, and refuting the errors of thinking, of believing and of living that come to the surface. Doing so gently, speaking the truth in love, but also directly. Finally, we see that Jesus reestablishes his rightful place. Verses 25 and 26. Well, she again seems to not like where things are going, Verse 25, the woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. She believes in Messiah. He's coming. He who is called Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. She's essentially brushing off what Jesus has just said. Well, that's all very interesting. And I'm glad that works for you, Jesus. But as for me, I'll wait for the Messiah to clear this big theological discussion up. Messiah will one day resolve the issue of whether it's Gerizim or Jerusalem. I hear what you're saying about worshiping Him in spirit and truth, and that's nice and everything. But really, which location is the right location? So I'll wait for Messiah to give a final ruling on this question. And in response to her statement about Messiah, Jesus says simply and directly in verse 26, I who speak to you am he. Here Jesus declares who he truly is, forthrightly. Not merely is Jesus an unusual Jewish male. He's not merely a prophet as she has suspected, but he is in fact Messiah, the Christ, the promised one the chosen one of God who will take away the sins of the world, the giver of living water. Jesus is not just one of many options. He's not merely a great man, a great teacher, a great moral example, a great prophet. He is the Messiah, the Son of God. He is himself the living water. Jesus declares his rightful position with this Samaritan woman. And in our gospel conversations, we must, in time, with wisdom, get around to speaking the name of Jesus. Pointing people to Jesus' true identity as the way, the truth, and the life. The exclusive source Of peace with God and eternal life. Now, just about this time, Jesus' disciples return. They're amazed to see Jesus engaged in conversation with a woman, with a Samaritan woman, at that, with the crowds returning. It's not just her and Jesus anymore, she leaves her water pot behind. And returns to the city. I want you to look at her response to Jesus in verse 28 through 30. So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? She's showing some shrewdness as well in the way that she presents Jesus. She's a discredited member of the community. She's just had a conversation with someone who claims to be the Messiah. So she comes in not declaring it, but she says, First of all, he knows everything about me. Could this be him? Maybe? Maybe? Come see a man who told me all things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? Verse 30, they went out of the city and were coming to him. Now skip down to verse 39. So all these Samaritans go out and they check out what this woman has said. Verse 39, from that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all things that I have done. So, when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. Now, that doesn't often get, I think, the attention that it deserves. Jesus, yes, had a conversation with a woman at the well. How long did that conversation last? Minutes, probably. But the ministry continued. As Jesus stayed on there, delaying his trip in order to reach out to the lost. In order to reveal truth, refute error. And to reestablish his rightful place as Messiah, King of kings and Lord of lords. The good news of Jesus is infectious to those who receive it. In this story, we can see Jesus' great heart for the lost, for the outcast, for the least, those on the margins. And His example to us is so helpful. Not only is it encouraging, because we know we were those people. We were the, on the margins. We were the outcast. Our sin had separated us from God. We were divided from God. Separated eternally from him, but Jesus in his love sought us out. He revealed truth to us. He refuted the errors of our heart and he established his rightful place as our Lord and Savior. What an example to us of his interaction with this lost, lonely, longing woman to reach out. To be always looking for the next divine appointment. To be asking questions and, and listening to the answer. To cross barriers with the love of Jesus. To reveal truth. To share scripture. To share Christ. To refute error. To combat the error of earthly thinking and empty philosophies which run rampant in our world with the truth of Jesus Christ. And the hope that it brings to reestablish Christ's right, rightful place that he is the Messiah, the Christ. He is not one option among many. To declare that what you do with Jesus Christ has eternal consequences. To declare that Jesus is the one who gives living water. To satisfy the thirst of our souls And that ultimately gives us eternal life. This is Jesus. This is his heart for the lost. May God grow us in that same heart. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your love for the lost. For your love for us. You didn't leave us where we were. You came and sought us out. You called us to yourself. You engaged us, as it were, in conversation. You offered us the free drink from the well of living water. Thank you, Jesus. There is an inexhaustible supply of this living water, and there are needs all around us. Give us eyes to see, give us a heart for the lost. Give us courage to speak up. Give us wisdom to say what we ought to say. And let us be witnesses for you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.